1: put my phone on airplane mode before I began this recording. So yay! Yay for active accessing of memories in a relevant moment. (laughs) That's the funny thing. It's like you remember to do something at the least convenient time possible. Isn't that how our brains like to tease us sometimes? Um, So I guess we're Continuing with the water theme from this month, I've, I've talked a lot about water because, hi, it's the lunar sigil for this most previous lunation. I'm actually saying goodbye to oh, Dios Moon, Holy Water Moon, Water of God Moon. I'm an amniotic fluid moon, sacred fluid moon, womb moon. I'm deep in the womb space. I'm, you know, holding my breath um preparing for rebirth into the light of this full moon. I think that's why we bid farewell and 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 beckoning in the in the full moon instead of in the dark of the moon. There are a lot of systems that call the new moon um, when it returns out of hiding, you know, like the very tiniest hint of glimmer when you see it back from its hiding place, I never really resonated with that system because I felt like it was unnatural, vague, meant for confusing the masses. I didn't think that it was the knowledge that was generalized. It's like if uh, the evening news, you know, the the seven-day weather report is the evening news version of of, uh, calendar awareness or climatological awareness. And I think that that's what systems are talking about when they start counting moons on the new moon, or I mean on the full moon. And I think the new moon is more like deeper um, spiritual awareness, people that are more in tune with the history or the cycles of nature, are basically just paying more attention. People who for whom the information bears more personal significance, let's say, you know, because if you're just in the general culture and what you're doing doesn't necessarily depend, you know, a whole heck of a lot on the natural rhythms. Even though we know in our knowingness that everything always depends on the understanding of the natural rhythms and being in flow with their natural rhythms. From the human understanding, there are people and jobs that seem more... Uh, Ongoing, regular, regulated than others, and that's true to this day. You know, paper paper shufflers, cubicle fillers, the people who keep the machinery of the construct running. In the theater, we would call uh, an actor with this energy would be called a spear carrier. <laughs> we need spear carriers on stage to fill out the Shakespearean melodramas of our life. You know. They may not have a line, they may not have a individuated story arc, but it's for sure and certain we need them on stage to hold that spear at the significant moment, at the plot point. It's very critical that we have all of our spear carriers on stage. So, I'm not in any way uh, lessening the importance of general knowledge. In fact, I'm celebrating it by pointing out that I think that we should start counting our moons on the full moon when everybody can mostly notice, mostly everybody can notice, mostly everybody already naturally does notice. When the moon is full, when the light is out, they use those times to do other tasks and they get more done during those times because of the energy flooding into us. I mean, just on a basic physiological level, right, we're talking about a giant satellite body in our orbit of awareness, encircling our globe or uh, having a heavy presence in our uh, simulated construct if you're believing in the simulation model of things instead of the naturalistic model. Um, There is a great level of awareness of what is coming into us. We attend to what is coming into us, what's in our boundaries and territories. We're territorial creatures and we're aware on a subconscious and supraconscious level of those relationships. We're aware of when predators and prey are encroaching on our territories. So yeah, this is in praise of that generalized awareness that is the fullness of the moon. And so, in that fullness, it can bear the understanding and it can bear the natures of two moons. It bears the darkness, the departing nature, the fare thee well, seem to low nature of the shadow, you know, the moon that we don't see, the one that's leaving us, thus aqua dios. We're bidding farewell by honoring the water, honoring the unconsciousness, the collected unconsciousness, the creative soup from which we all sprung into w- which we all are returning um we're honoring that as it's departing our awareness kind of like rear view mirror you still see the mountains in the rear view you see the, the headlights of the people behind you sometimes you can get a lot of information that way you see somebody who's coming up really quick their light is you know uh quickening it's very uh erratic so-called you know you sense that in little quick glimpses in the rear view. You're watching the road ahead of you. That's where you're getting most of your information because that's the direction you're going. But you are paying attention to what's coming up in your rear view. You're looking, you're attending to the light in the eyes of your um, rear view. The The light of the eyes on the back of your head. Let's call it that. Your, your Janus eyes. Janus was the two-headed god that was cleaved in order to create humanity. Um, Yeah, so right now, in the fullness of this moon, in the beckoning of Morteros' moon, the grinded-up moon, the pulp moon, that's where we are. We're bidding farewell, bidding adieu to Ahuel Dios, sacred holy water. And we are beckoning the earthwork, the grounding, the groundedness, the material labors, because what is a morteros? I will explain it for any of you that don't follow this system um, or don't dwell in a um, materiality that is familiar with that language, that labeling. Morteros is a Spanish language word that basically means... uh, like grinding, pounding, pulling together. Yeah, pounding. It uh, It's the little bowl, like a mortar and pestle. It's often translated into the English tool of a mortar and pestle, although morteros is really just a flat, hollowed out stone that um, gets ever increasingly flattened or hollowed out or smoothed through the action of being used. Like the action actually defines the creation of that item. So um, a mortar, morteros, or the, the actual, the paste that comes out of it. It's funny. It is the process and it is the product, you know? It's the process of grinding the acorns into we wish, into food. It is the process of grinding the maize, the maize, the corn into flour, cornbread, fuel, gruel, uh, gristle pulled out, uh, skin pulled out, processed in lye, with uh, the right chemicals, the right uh, the right stones needed to be used. That was the thing. Like if you want to talk about the evils of migration, being forced to relocate and pull your natural ways and put them into a different place on Mother Gaia, all you have to know is it would be like trying to nurse out of the teats of your father without any kind of hormonal support. It would be like trying to nurse out of the elbow of your uncle, you know? It's vaguely shaped to fit around your mouth, but is any sustenance going to come there? No, you might have a momentary soothing, but you won't be nourished. You'll be starved. You'll be malnourished through the effort of suckling. You'll create blisters on your lips and tongue. You'll create wounds on on the surface of that suckling. You know, where you suckle will be wounded too. There's a natural connective energy of Naniwaya, of Mother Gaia, of planet Earth, where we take from where she expels naturally. In other words, if we take the topsoil, where it's always growing and changing and evolving, where it's brought up from the center of the Earth, from the center of the magma, rich with chemical nutrients, rich with material nutrients, rich with the products of that composting, that death, that meconium, That's different than going to a place where the earth has been there for millennia, generations, eons, and has already been sent along into other purposes of crafting in the universe. Yeah, we can dig down into that pocket of death, but it sickens us and it wounds us. It's like trying to get to the mammary glands from the collarbone. No, move down to where the areola is, move down to where the nipple is and fully encase it Make sure you have a good latch. We don't cut off the breast and chop it up and divvy it out. We leave the breast intact, entire, in situ, in place, and we allow it to flow milk to the masses. These lessons of embodiment, these lessons of how we relate to our wounds, to our bodies ourselves, it gives us broader lessons to Mother Nature's needs and vice versa, and vice versa. It does the opposite as well. By tending to the needs of Naniwaya, by tending to the needs of Mother Gaia, particularly if you do not drive a female body or haven't stro-, stro... I don't know what the right... Strived... Striven... <laughs> if you haven't attempted to embody the female or the feminine at any point in your consciousness, if you're not aware of an embodiment of the feminine in your experiencing, or you haven't conscientiously brought that feminine embodiment into your awareness then really, truly, it's hard to know how to treat this body. You must be in relationship with the mother, with your mother, with Mother Earth, with Gaia. And you also also must be in relationship with the sun and moon. It requires both. That's the dance of our body. That's the tidal natures of our internal waters. That's our body of bone and blood, as Steve Noble likes to say very often in his meditations. Breathe deep into your body of bone and blood breathe deep into your body of bone and blood because the consciousness is everywhere all the time all the time all the time all the time but to choose to dwell in the body to choose to attend to the breath to choose to have the universe breathe through you as you of you in you that is that's a whole other thing That's a whole other ball of wax. That's a whole other enchilada. So, yeah, we're bidding farewell to holy water and we're welcoming the work time of harvest. Because, boy, if you don't work now, you ain't going to eat in the winter. Oh, my howdy. The material realm needs maintenance. It needs our attentional focus. If we fall out of attentional focus with our creation, then the unconsciousness, the the bonds of human karma, which is sick and toxic and full of badness beyond imagining, full, full of the worst imaginings of nature come from the human. Um, without that restriction, without that uh, calling in, let's say, held in check without our awareness, balancing that dark nature or uh, chaotic, we'll call it chaotic, disordered nature, that's what would happen. Feminine consciousness brings order through the chaos, through the chaos of abundance, through the chaos of the gift that lack fights over. The the separation consciousness, the lack consciousness, fights over the abundance of Mother Gaia and and, um, our sacred source, Abba Benili, the solar power, the light, the abundant, permanent, eternal light. So during full moon, we get double whammyed. We get the fullness of that bounce light. We get Abba Benili's light shining down at us in the daytime, and we get the unflinching glaze of our mother, Naniwaya, the bounce light, shining down on us in the nighttime. So that's why there's so much energy. That's So there's more than enough energy to hold the fullness of two lunar signals. So that's why we switch signals on the full moon instead of the dark moon or the new moon. We in the chaparral... We in this locality, we that name the moons like me, we switch our moons in the fullness of the light. Sort of like two penguin fathers passing an egg. They don't do that shit in the dark time. They wait until light to pass the egg over. They wait till the ideal moment. They do practices and rehearsals. They do dances and choreography in every kind of light and condition. But they wait for their actual attempt to move. They wait. They wait until the fullness of their light. They wait for the best moment. And they do that by listening. They're listening to be in flow. They're listening to be in flow with the universe for that ideal moment. So, yeah. (coughs) I've already been in bath ceremony, in in this consciousness. I got in, well, the ceremony began around 11. I started with the preparations a little before 11. I started with a solar bath in communion at 11.11 11. while the tub tea was steeping, while it was strengthening its own tincture before I stepped in. I did a lot of ceremonial stuff in that time. And then I I did I did a doc flop breath and I documented it again like I did last time with the podcast. This time I, I documented it into my Instagram stories, which is really interesting because there's just like no real filter there. That just goes anywhere, anybody anywhere. And yeah, I uh, I was aware, I was aware. The dock flop breath is something that I was instructed with in pain and suffering and just, I can only describe it that way still. Even though I seek it now as medicine and I endure it willingly As instruction and correction and healing and 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 I I I sign up for it I volunteer for it when I was doing it as a child or when it was being done to me more accurately when this ritual ceremony was being done to me as a child I had no idea what was being built in my mind or in my body but I do know that I can sit with quite an extensive separation from my breath. It prepared me to sit in a a scanning bed at 30 weeks plus pregnant, highly morbidly obese on top of that, heavily pregnant and morbidly obese at the time. It allowed me to sit and take still pictures at a microscopic level even enduring deep physical discomfort laying flat on my back and I mean this back that I had back then and the core muscles that I had back then is nowhere near the vessel I'm driving now I mean all my organs just fell like a puddle of goo and put pressure on my diaphragm and on my pelvis and on my hip bones and on my pelvic bones and on my tailbone and on my sacrum and Oh, my low back, I can just, I can still, even speaking of it, my my low back starts to malform into the old shapes that it used to bear, and because the consciousness wants to recall, the consciousness wants to remind me, and I'm like, no thanks, I totally remember you, dude, I don't need a reminder, get thee behind me, get thee the fuck out of here, get thee out of my sight and remembrance, get thee gone, and then it is and I have ease in my vessel again, but the consciousness remembers. The consciousness does surely remember those torturous processes and the experience that it helped me endure. I can hold my breath through a wave of emotion deeper than any 50-foot pool, taller than any 100-foot wave, I can hold a tear through an entire school day, through an entire work day, through an entire family vacation. I can stifle a tear. I can quell a heart cry. Through any of those endurances, I can do that. The lesson for me now has been in learning when it's okay and safe to let it flow unchecked. When I'm in the company of a compassionate ear, a compassionate eye, a compassionate heart, a compassionate hand that I can just let that flow, let that go, let that tear of transformation free. And boy, sometimes they're really painful. Sometimes they're from bitterness, salty rich from decades long stifling. Man, those ones burn. They burn like sulfuric acid those are the ones I save for the tub those are the ones I save for the full moon those are the ones I save for the collective medicine you know but the ones I don't save anymore the ones I don't bottle up are the ones that come when I'm alone in a moment by myself driving in the car I just let the wave come I weep it out into the emptiness I weep it out into my daily shower or my walk in the yard. I cry it out. I I, I I sob it out into my pillow at night without fearing, you know, of disturbing my irrelevant spouse. You know, I no longer share sleeping space with another human. I'm celibate for all intents and purposes. No, I mean, I just, I am. There's no qualifier there. I don't, I'm unpartnered. No matter what the papers held within the offices of the state of California or the Chickasaw Nation might indicate, I'm unpartnered. So that means when I set myself to bed at night and I feel a wave of loneliness, I don't have to pretend to not feel it anymore. Like I did when I had a roommate, you know, a sibling, a parent, uh, a college roommate. A personal roommate when I was you know working and living in the construct in Los Angeles I don't have any of those either attentive or dispassionate or compassionate or variably passionate compassionate humans I don't have their awareness filtering my expression anymore and so I can just express it I can let it flow I can let it flow and have no fear of judgment. No fear of failure, of passing the test, passing the the, the examination. Because, like, hi, it was a resurrection breath. It was a... a Uh, Yeah, Doc flop breath is a resurrection breath for sure. It's not even about, did you make it through without losing consciousness? It's about, even if you lost consciousness and we lost you and we brought you back, you better be smiling and thanking me when you get there. You better not be crying and sad. You better not be yelling at me and telling on me to mom and dad. You better just sit with it. Whatever it was that got you through, you better just thank me. Save your tears for someone else because, hey, you're here. I brought you up. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful for the breath that I brought you? Regardless of the one that stole it from you, aren't you grateful that I'm the one that brought you back? So that, you know, that cycle of relationship and necessary forgiveness of, of you know, that theft... Because, yeah, my teacher was the one that robbed me of the breath right when they brought it back. It's like knowing that the umbilical cord brings your waste and your um, life. It brings your water and your shit. Right? Depends on which end you suck on. Depends on what it's attached to. The dark, flop breath was given to me and what it did when I was younger is bring me into a shamanic meditative state outside my awareness or understanding. It brought me to the unconsciousness and it gave me information and understanding outside my awareness, my intellectual awareness, my ability for my brain and body, my body of bone and blood. couldn't hold these concepts because they're not human concepts. So that's what he did to me. I wasn't ready for that. But now I'm a grown-ass person. I'm a human with as much understanding as any human can hope to have because I'm beyond my 33. Well, I'm beyond my 14. I'm beyond my 21. I'm beyond my 33. I'm beyond my 42. I'm beyond all of that. I'm in my crone season. So if that's not sovereignty, and if I can't lay claim to what the human journey is, at this point, then when can I? Because I'm not going to get any gray hair. I shave it off every two weeks. (laughs) Uh, I might get some silver glitter sparkle, but no one will ever be close enough to see it. So cronehood is more powerful than elderhood because in elderhood, they start mistrusting us again, unfortunately, until we get the human to trust the elder again. The safest place to be is in the innocence of childhood or in the sovereignty of cronehood. They take you as too much of a challenge when you're in your youth. They take you as a disruption to the system. So, yeah, I love our youth. The youth will save us, but if you want to be listened to, well, I'll repeat the words of Christ. Let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your innocence. Let no one despise you for your agedness or your frailty. Let no one despise you, period. Claim your sovereignty, regardless of your age. Claim your sovereignty. If you're born as an heir, you die as a sovereign. So claim it now. You have it your whole entire life path. The only thing that determines whether or not you claim your throne is the passage of time. So time is a myth and a fiction and not real anyway. So just claim your throne now. Kick off your, you know, court uh, explainers and managers and guardians. Rule from your sovereignty. Rule from your place of now. Rule from your breath. You're now, which is the place that you can hold one single solitary breath. That's, you know, why the dock flop breath became important because I was interested in knowing what kind of consciousness I could hold under the power of a single solitary breath because at some point I would have my last breath just as assuredly as I had my first breath. And so because I wanted to know what consciousness could hold within the span of a single breath, I began inviting that consciousness. I began inviting that experience. But that meant that I had to return to the controlled flow of the dock flop breath. And that meant I had to return to an exploration of understanding with my victimhood identification and my intentional, purposeful part of sharing in that process. And I had to decide whether or not I wanted to instruct anyone in the ways that I had been instructed. Breathe deep. Hold your breath. That's the mantra that floods my consciousness like a disembodied inhuman voice because that's what it was. Because when I was down underneath the water initially, you know, in the innocence of my childhood when my brother drug me down under the 10 feet of water down near the drain where I could have gotten suctioned to the vortex. When he brought me down there, he couldn't speak any words to me in that moment to carry me through or give me pause or help me stop shivering or fluttering or trying to escape him. He could only just hold me there with his attentional focus and will and giving me verbal corrections and instructions once we got back up to the surface. When I was least likely or able to be capacitated to hear or understand those instructions because I was just panicking from the starvation of oxygen and fear of disappointing my hero. He was my dearest love and greatest hero. I adored him more deeply than my parents at that time because he was my primary caregiver for the most part. I just, uh, I just, uh, I didn't want to disappoint him. So I was holding my breath and... It taught me a lot. It built a lot of tools in me, in my body, and in my consciousness, and my understanding, and my experiencing, and my relating. It, uh, yeah, it brought me a lot, and it taught me a lot. So... I was left with this very personal process that I didn't even engage in when I was doing group meditations. But it was my most powerful tool of self-soothing and of accessing the divinatory space. It was where I went when I needed to meditate and self-soothe and, you know, find my purpose. It's where I went, intuitively, instinctively, and so the few times that I endured that process with another teacher, you know, with a yoga teacher or a, with a, a yoga teacher or a somatic experiencing teacher or a breathwork teacher. Oh my gosh. Breathwork teachers don't know what the fuck I'm doing half the time because my cadence is so slow. They're always like, breathe deep, <sighs> breathe deep again and i feel like i'm hyperventilating because my rhythm is really slow comparatively um so yeah i mean that whole cadence of breathe deep hold your breath and then they want you to hold it for god it was like 10 seconds 15 seconds 30 seconds like it felt like an ever-increasing longer time the longer that you were in there because you were starting to get oxygen deprivation. You were starting to get hypoxic. But the machine doesn't know that. And the people in the room separated from you, you know, just watching the computer, they can't really tell because they're just listening for distress. And I was very... I was a good patient. I had endured years of silent... um sexual abuse. I my, the paradigm that I endured sexual abuse under, just you know to kind of summarize it as briefly as I possibly can was for um, a great extent nonverbal. Uh, preverbal happened before I had good language skills, happened um, in the nighttime while I was asleep or trying to sleep. Uh, I was in the same bed as my older sister, the person that abused us abused both of us, and I would be aware sometimes of him coming in to uh, attack her, and then I would wake up and make some noise to try to get him to leave, and he would sometimes leave the room. Unfortunately, sometimes he would leave the room, and then he would come back later, and I would be asleep, or pretending to be asleep, but he would come in, and then he would proceed to molest me. And for whatever reason, my safety mechanism, my coping mechanism at the time was to feign sleep. Even when I was very clearly, tightly crisscrossing my legs together, trying to deny him access to my body. I would do it through a process of like repositioning and trying to escape. But then he would dig more insistently and that would cause even more deep physical distress. And so... I, over the period and process of time, taught myself to lay very still through the process of being violated in my most intimate physicality and kind of weeping silently through that distress so as not to alert the people around me or cause them distress or in some way put them at risk because I was assured that they would be... um, I don't know, something terrible. I can't even make it into English, so it must have been death, I guess, because I can't still make English about it. Anytime I try to de- describe my loved ones dying, it just turns into a white squeal of static uh, staticky ee- high-pitched whine noise that is not words. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can hold a lot in the span of one breath. And in a silent, still body. My healing has come from learning when and how I can safely release those impulses. When I can flail and thrash and cry and scream. When it's okay to do that. When it's healing and necessary to do that. Like into a full moon bath. Full of flowers and essences and so much love of all my spiritual support network. And it's also being recorded, so it's quantified. It's being fractaled out digitally. can be cut and spliced and repeated ad infinitum. I mean, if there's not a place to disseminate this foulness, I don't know what is. This has got to be it. This has got to be it to release this tear, this upwelling... know how it started so like Dr. Tyson Dr. Tyson Dr. Tyson Perez was the first person who taught me about vagal toning I knew about with the vagus nerve and vagal nerve toning as far as how important the vagus nerve was to our our process but I didn't know that it was tunable in other words I just understood it as something that we had like Our vagal tone was either high or low, it was either good or bad. It was sort of like our cholesterol number. There was no perception in my mind that I could do anything to shift it until I started working with a really wonderful, um, holistic, naturalistic, integrative, um, intuitive healer who operated under the modality of chiropractic care, but he provided a lot of other modalities. And I learned a lot from him that wasn't just hands-on chiropractic adjustment he he truly expanded my vision and passed me off to my true healer which was myself my embodied spirit helped me find a way to get safe in my body for the first time he taught me how to feel safe within my own body for the first time Um, I let him crack my neck. Guys, that's how much I trust and love Dr. Tyson. I let him do the death crack on me. You know that thing that chiropractors do where they take your head and they twist it? And I'm always like, why does anybody let anybody do that? They could paralyze or die. Like, just one wrong little moment. What if you sneeze right when they're going? Well, after having been adjusted several times in the shared spiritual uh, biofield with that human, I understand quite deeply how those kinds of um, accidents are avoided and, and mitigated. And I'm not saying that they don't happen and that chiropractic injury doesn't happen because I know it does. I've been injured through a chiropractic adjustment that wasn't done in that modality. They were sort of a one-size-fits-all shop and they applied the same algorithm of care to everyone regardless of status or injury and it left me quite uh, traumatized. In fact, I didn't seek out chiro- chiropractic care For a while after that incident because of the injury, and I was a lot more careful about what modalities I allowed chiropractors to use on me when I did seek their care. So anyways, long story short, too late, this is a flow, I guess. Good thing Mark asked for more um, content because, boy, howdy, I think this is going to be a long one. I haven't even checked to see how long the time was, and I know I was doing breath work for a timeless amount So, because I was in the timeless space. And I'm gonna probably edit that out because I doubt anybody wants to listen to my ear howling in their car. Maybe they do. Maybe it's the time of year when we like to hear people howl into the void. <laughs> that's the full moon. That's why people howl into the full moon. That's why coyotes and wolves scream and holler into the full moon because they got to do something with all that with with all that extra emotional energy that's moving through their consciousness. They have to release it, where it can be processed, transmuted. So anyways, Dr. Tyson. Oh, yes, he's on the other side of the world as far as I know. He went to New Zealand to do a doctoral program, I think. So doctorates upon doctorates, I guess. Maybe he's a perpetual student like me. Um. So he left, but before he left, he left me with a huge gift, which was when I first started seeking his care, and I was still very deeply enmeshed in the pathological model of care, and I I hadn't even been diagnosed with autoimmune at that point. I hadn't even been diagnosed with rheumatoid. I was just there with all kinds of other all the markers. I had it, but didn't know I had it. I was there with an immune issue and, you know, history of cancer and lots of surgery and radiation and, you know, just trying to heal. Stress, chronic stress from raising an autistic toddler and young child at the time. Um, So he told me about vagal toning and taught me how to do it in a way that I could maybe avoid feeling embarrassed, he told me to just gargle, literally gargle water and shout or yell or sing or chant or whatever, just basically speak, yell, shout anything, any word or noise, as loudly as I could, you know, with my head back, my throat extended, with water in my mouth. In other words, expel the water, expel the breath, through the weight of the water and something about that was very uh tuning to the vagus nerve to the entire length of the vagus nerve so he gave me that prescription and that's it really all it was and I who am an autistic rule follower who like to know the procedures and like to follow the rules if I can and I'm able and they make sense if they if they make logical sense I will follow a rule until the day I die or it becomes unbearable and I can't, I'm not capacitated to follow it. And then I give myself the eternal grace of, I just can't. Sorry. That's not a rule for me anymore. Um, So he gave me a prescription, a rule to follow. Every time you get in the shower, put water in your mouth and scream. (laughs) Well, oh my God. What is a good Christian mama who's fighting her own body to stay alive, and trying to keep other humans here courtside as well, what does she need but the power to scream into the consciousness several times a day? And at that time, I was taking a lot of showers and baths because I have temperature dysregulation, and sometimes my only way to get regulated was literally to like cook myself in hot water. Or the sun. I had to go out. It took me a while to learn to not be afraid of the sun. I spent my time healing in the bath in the water until my body got well enough to stand the sunshine. And then I started seeking the sun medicinally. And now it's about equal. I spend about equal time sunbathing and water bathing and earth bathing and air bathing. I kind of bathe myself in all the elements because I am spirit, so I don't need to wash my spirit ever that whole idea of spiritual baptism is bullshit. You're not baptizing your spirit. You're baptizing your bottom body with your spirit. So, anyways, Dr. Tyson gave me a prescription to scream in my shower. And I followed it, religiously. And boy howdy did it ever heal me. I had a hard time with mantras at the time. I was devoutly Christian like i was a spiritual christian and i was multi-dimensional because i didn't grow up following any denomination i understood christianity from the point of christ i didn't understand christianity from the point of the church i never did i had deep cognitive dissonance about the activities of the church and christians people that did things in christ's name so i always had a deep severance between My concept of God and spirit and Jesus and Christ, Christ, Christian, uh, the church or pastors, you know, religious people. It was very separated in my mind. And so for this time, I was trying to, you know, follow my spirit. But everywhere my spirit was leading me was into places that the church, not Christ, mind you. Listen to the difference. The church told me was wrong. I, christ was always leading me to my rightness. Christ was always leading me to my truth Christ was always leading me to christ christ consciousness Christos Krishna you know uh Zen consciousness oneness consciousness unity consciousness was leading me to it and it was just the religious barriers, the filters of culture and time and old power struggles that left me confused and filled with cognitive dissonance. I was deeply troubled with cognitive dissonance for the majority of my life. And I and I would consider myself not really fully birthed into my own spiritual maturity until I realized my own eternal nature. I don't think that you can really be spiritually mature until you understand your eternal nature and once you understand your eternal nature and resonate with it then there's just an ever deepening of that understanding and a growing up and a maturation process and we never fully finish growing and developing our development goes until our final breath and our final breath brings us our last lesson and our last lesson brings us the ultimate realization when we're rejoined with Oneness and we release our final link to separation consciousness, which is the reliance on the breath. And once we don't need the breath anymore, we truly are one, we're unified. So, um, yeah, I was following my breath to oneness, I was following my breath to Christ, I was following my Christ to my breath. Um, that's the light. And the darkness, I felt, was all the filters that we put up in place of it. But once I understood Bell's theorem, it's a physical reality thing, it's a, one of those physical principles that they named after some dead white mathematician, even though wise people of every color, nation, creed have known this truth forever, the more filters present, the more light shines through you don't understand that, then just think about an eclipse and how they tell you not to look at the sun when an eclipse is happening. That's because a big filter is in front of it. And that means more light pierces through at a very concentrated point that can be dangerous, damaging. So the physical reality is that on a quantum level, you know, photons, they, as a particle can only either be a wave or a particle. They can only choose to express to be in one place at a time, I guess, maybe. Or they're in both places at once, and you can only look at where they are at one time. I don't know how to English this, you guys. It's in, it's unEnglishable. Basically, proving Bell's theory means that when you look at something, you decide where it goes. The act of observing it determines where it is. That's the confirmation of what's called the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle. Nothing is anywhere until we observe it. Everything is always everywhere, but not until we observe it. Or it's only there as we're observing it, maybe is the most accurate way to put that, because things can fall out of attentional focus and cease to be. Things can come back into attentional focus and come again. If you don't believe me, just look at the concept of we used to believe the Earth was flat too. Remember how people said that jokingly? And now a lot of people are starting to agree with that idea again. And enough people are starting to agree with that idea that I've started to wonder if they don't have the capacity to squash us flat like a pancake. And then I start to wonder, is that thought helpful? Maybe I shouldn't envision our world getting squished flat because, you know, that's an interesting thought to agree with, don't you think? So, again, depending on which version of reality you're in agreement with or resonating with, if we're in the real natural biological machine, one-off, one-and-done, the cat is there, Schrodinger model of the universe, then... This is what happens. You shine a light through a box with a bunch of filters of it, and the more filters you put up, the more light appears. The more times you count something, the more counts you get. That's Mandelbrot. Mandelbrot is the smaller tool you count, the smallest tool you count with. You get a longer number. The smaller the number you, the smaller the tool you measure with, the larger the measurement is. That's what Mandelbrot says. So in our material universe, we are pixelated. We're in a pixelated universe, and in our material pixelated universe, the smallest unit we have are uh, subatomic particles. and photons and neutrons and electrons and protons. Protons, photons, neutrons, electrons. And they said that photons don't have mass, but they did find out mass has, light has mass. Photons have mass. So, that was a random, random Random, wandering ramble about materiality, and I don't know why. I'm going to have to listen to that back and figure out what that was about, because I know I was talking about Dr. Tyson and Bagel Tony. Well, anyways, whatever it was about, I was in that belief state, and I was agreeing with a lot of stuff that wasn't good for me, and he taught me how to listen to what was good for me. I started listening to what was good for me and doing more of that and less of what was bad for me. And I started getting better and more clear. And yeah. So I'm taking responsibility for what I'm putting out there. I'm taking ownership for what I'm putting into resonance, what I'm projecting. And I'm trying to tidy up after whatever isn't us anymore. You know, I'm looking in the rear view just enough to see what lessons we don't need to learn again. Like, I got that one, guys. We don't need to feel it again in the body. So yeah, I started screaming into my shower. I started meditating into my shower using mantras. Um Oh, that's what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about mantras and why I was rejecting. Like, I was rejecting using a lot of these meditations just because they were in mantras in another language that I couldn't understand or translate and so I didn't know how I was programming myself and then I just figured wait if I'm programming myself without English then what does it matter because I can still program in English and unprogram in English and if it's a general energetic washing of words as long as I generally agree with the message then I don't have to worry about the specifics of grammar or accuracy or whatever the way I tend to perseverate when it's English and so I started by choosing a mantra that was really simple. It was just two syllables, ra, ma, ra, ma. And I, I didn't really know what it meant except for like come in or God or creator or like, you know, it was like really general, spiritual, but it was the inversion of a couple of syllables that I had been meditating with in Christian meditation, which was maranatha, ma, ra, na, Maranatha, Maranatha, means come Lord Jesus, or at least that's how that word was translated to me growing up. I, If I looked up the Hebrew, I'm sure it has a much more complex, multidimensional, layered meaning, but at the time, and in my understanding of what those syllables meant in an English translation at the time, to me, when I spoke Maranatha, Maranatha, I was repeating English Tuning of come Lord Jesus, bring Christ, come Christ to me, bring in the Christed consciousness to me. Christ, come into my heart, come in and experience me with you. Let me experience you, Christ. Come in, Christ, come in. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come on, Jesus, come on in, Jesus, come on in, come on in, Christ. Here we go, Christ, here we go. English, that's what I was hearing, tuning, feeling, calling in, experiencing. What I was saying was ma ra. So I would say ma ra, ma ra, and then I would say natha, natha, ma ra, natha. So I was chanting and listening to the music of a musical chant, Rama, that was on repeat and it had this ongoing kind of tonal rhythmic bass that was just Rama, Rama, Rama. Rama, it just kept going on and on and on. But then there was this really interesting harmonic, melodic, uh, dynamic element that happened kind of deep in, because this was a 20-minute long meditation I would listen to. And several minutes in, all of a sudden it would shift, and it would start this sort of almost like a songbird thing of Rama, Rama, Rama,
2: Rama, Rama, Rama.
1: Rama,
2: Rama,
1: Rama, 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 Rama. But I wouldn't sing Rama because I was still averse to tuning myself with the name of another god or the name of what I would have called a false god, right? Even though I knew Emmanuel and Shekinah and um, Yahweh, I knew all these Hebrew names for god. I was very terrified of misnaming God, of, quote, taking the Lord's name in vain or worshipping a God of a false name, you know, worshipping someone, something that someone called God that wasn't God. So when I became more uh, democratic and uh, uh, multidimensional in my understanding of the nature of God and learned to accept every name of God as God's name because I understood that God took every name of God that aligns with God. In other words, if it's a God, God takes that name and says, yeah, I'm that God too. I have all that power as well. I have that goddess power as well. I have that non-binary, you know, interdimensional, non-material God nature. I have that, you know, tiny, small, individual, biological God nature. I I am all of the God, goddess, creator, creatrix, spirit, material everything i am the non and the is i am the thought and the unthought that's what it is to be i am the i am is just what exists and what exists is also what doesn't exist so that's how god does what they do that is how god do what they do so anyways I was repeating not Rama, Rama, Rama the way that I do now. I sing along with that thing all the time. I sing it to my plants. I water my garden and I sing it full-throated voice to the yard and the neighbors and anyone who wants to come by. They'll hear hear me chanting Rama, 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 Lama, Ding Dong. They will hear me chanting it just as they'll hear me singing, you know, Amazing Grace or um, His Eyes on the Sparrow or um Aho or uh a kalki mantra like there are so many songs that are sacred to me that i sing over and over again in every language and i just love them for their musicality and for the intentionality of the of the sacred person who brought forth that music to begin with there's hip-hop songs that i put on in like freaking worship Worship, I mean, worship in body and spirit and mind more so than I ever did in any church I went to. Talk about Kelly 47 oh my howdy. I have missed some serious bullshit from that worship. Yeah, that that's, the point is, the music was no longer silenced or stifled because of my fear. I began to listen to the true divine sacred nature of those Words and music, and I sang along. So I wasn't singing Maranatha, Maranatha,
2: Maranatha, 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 Maranatha. Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha,
1: I sang Rama,
3: Rama, Rama, Rama.
1: I changed it. I translated it. I started singing words that felt okay with me and then all of a sudden I started hearing the words as they were intended and that's how we translate that's how we meet in the middle that's how we overcome the overlapping filters that we throw up in front of each other that's how we see past the you know curve around the corner in the in the trail that's how we you know hear through the The broken English, the the antiquated vernacular, you know, we have such a global um, and diverse community at this point that communication is challenging and speaking words that don't bring injury to one another sometimes is painful sort of like tuning a radio dial and sometimes you get that like hissing, squealing static and you don't don't even tune in to try to hear on that because the squeal is too great, you know, that, that, that's kind of where we are communication wise. So I, you know, I love emojis and GIFs because they have a way of getting into the nonverbal human emotional communication. That sometimes our words, our programmed triggers and our programmed habituated responses, they they just deafen it, they mistranslate it, they, they scramble it like static. So I would say try to listen, not so much with your ears or with your you know inner grammarian critic. Try to listen through your heart, listen through your third eye, listen through your crown chakra, listen through your sacral chakra, listen through your root. Gosh, do you know how much fear you can pick up on if you start listening through your root chakra? You can find every fear in the room and back away from it and, like, not deal with anybody who's in fear space if you just pay attention to your root chakra and how contracted or loose it is around someone. So, in other words, if you get that, like, sinking feeling in your gut or your butthole puckers or maybe you get that like weird unexplainable erection if you're a guy or like your vagina like pulses or twitches like it starts squeezing like you're doing kegels but you didn't think you wanted to do kegels just then if you get any of that weird body signal down low most likely you're picking up up on fear energy and i mean it can be creative energy with the sacrum like that sometimes can be what's causing it but most often especially in our highly, like, disembodied and, uh, you know, weird, overly s- sexualized culture, it's probably fear. I would say if your root is twitching, it's probably fear energy that you're picking up on. So, yeah, your heart will show you love and compassion if you listen through your heart chakra. If you listen through your your solar plexus chakra through your will through your choice that's going to bring you personal satisfaction that's going to show you what's for you specifically for your will for your survival it's going to show you what's for you for your body vessel listening through your solar plexus through your gut through your mesenterium yeah that that will get you what's for you listening through your heart chakra that will get you what's for everyone for highest good of all the, the listening to your crown or your third eye, um, that that's that's listening for for alone times. Listening to your third eye or your crown when you're in a crowd is, uh, gosh, what's the corollary? Going to a business meeting downtown, but you're dressed in a swimsuit. Like, just don't, it's not that, listening through your third eye and your crown is for when you're in your alone, private, controlled space. Sure, you could wander through downtown and you're all together if you want to, if you're that sort of a person and you enjoy all of the stares and all of the invasions of privacy. But mostly you want to listen through your crown and third eye chakras when you're alone. And and then the last one, and also the, if you're listening through your throat chakra, that's also another time when you're alone or when you're in small groups or in a, a single one-on-one conversation. So if you're in small group setting or you're instructing a group or you're coming up with a project for a group or you're coming up with a message to send to a group, yeah, that's a good time to listen through your throat chakra. Because you're going to be listening for what other people are wanting to convey through their throat chakra. You're going to be on the same even keel. You're going to get out of the power dynamic of communication. If you meet throat chakra to throat chakra, you meet without the power dynamic impacting your, um, your communication struggle. So, all right. So, I hope that this is making sense as far as listening and I don't know why I chose to talk about that right now after all this other stuff but this is what I'll say all this flow all of this verbal production of random content that I'm not editing or pulling from notes or getting from another person feeding me questions this free-flowing font of verbal output comes from the dose of dimethyltryptamine that i received by becoming slightly hypoxic in other words starving myself of oxygen a little bit in my brain in order to process or or activate or call forth or release relate with the dimethyltryptamine that's native in my body like the dmt people talk about dmt from plants and toads and you know, all kinds of things, but you have endogenous DMT in your body, in your brain, in your tissue. You have it in your body. So when you have that dimethyltryptamine in your body, active in your brain, and you pay attention to it, this is what it tunes you into. The greater consciousness, the thoughts that are held outside of your own cellular body, outside of your own brain-body bubble, outside of your own you know notes (laughs) mental notes it gives you access to that space with grace and ease so that you can pull stuff forward especially if it's for your own personal healing or transmutation or recovery or growth or if it's for the greater good of all that's that's what happens so that is that is what happens I have been in the tub for a long-ass time. That is eight days of baths. That is two moons of baths. That is a resurrection bath because I needed the resurrection of care. I needed to realize that even though I'm unpartnered and I don't have a lover, I can still engage in good self-care and I can still be tender with this vessel and pay attention to it and I can still beautify this body and and treat it tenderly even if I don't have a partner even if I don't have a lover even if I don't have anyone else attending to this body I can should ought to and must so yeah I guess this is just a collective reminder to get in the tub get in the shower, get in your meditative space, wherever that is, and call forth your unity consciousness, whatever you call that, because a lot of people don't like the Jesus. They especially don't like the Jesus name because of all of the evils that have been done to them in body and spirit in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christ. Um, And, you know, before I hear from any Jesus freaks, familiarize yourself with your history before you start defending the practices of your faith please and and send the memos to the pastors of your church because I don't want to hear it because I don't defend Christianity anymore I don't claim Christianity anymore I follow Christ when, when I'm led by Christ but I don't follow any Christian and I don't follow any church let me say that again I don't follow any Christian and I don't follow any church you hear that? They 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 have denigrated the name, and let's remind everyone where the name Christian came from. It was a label that the Rome the Roman government gave the followers of Jesus. They called them little Christ's Christ-like little Christ's, because they were trying. That's all they were trying to do. They were just trying to emulate someone who they thought had a eye on the ball, somebody that they thought knew what was going on, you know. So it was a mockery. It was a mockery. So, Jesus didn't call himself or his followers by that name. Why would I expect them to recognize me if I start calling myself by that name? (laughs) That's, That's in the Bible too. They'll say, he never knew us. She never knew us. They never knew us. Oh, Jesus. Name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord. Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us. Yep, I told you I knew those songs.
2: Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, Glorious Lord Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word. Jesus, name above all names. Beautiful Savior Glorious Lord Emmanuel God is with us Blessed Redeemer (laughs) Adama v'shemayim Chom ha'esh tzil ha'mayim Ani margish begufi, b'gufi v'nishmati Heah, 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 ho! Ani margi shat begu fi baruch Abba, be nearly And Seemed alone I am them They are me We are they And they are we I am they They are We Abba, be
3: and seemed low.
2: i am them they are me we are they and they are we i am them they are
3: Oh, yeah.
4: It's love, you go back to love again. You understand where somebody's having a problem with your trip or whatever trip they're having a problem with and you try to bring it together, you try not to cause division. You try to make it as a cosmos, it's a cosmos, then it unfolds like a flower, it just keeps unfolding. Time keeps moving on instead of someone saying, no man, we're going to do like, we're going to become fascists, we're going to do it this way. And you said, no, we're moving on, and I hope I see you later, and where everybody's okay. And that's the human race. When there's total enlightenment, there will be peace. The world will be in bliss when there's total enlightenment. So enlightenment is knowledge. As much knowledge as you can get people to, to seek and understand, you know. And it's mankind, it's me, it's me and you, it's us that do it. But We have to call it to align. We say, look, I'm not going to go kick that guy's ass, that happened 10 years. I wish you all the luck in the world. That's love, you know. Compassion, or uh, what do you call it? Uh, Mercy. What's that? Mercy. Mercy.